everybody. So next we've got Professor Matthew Spittle um, to talk to us about a um, study that he's recently done with um, notifications to APRA. So Matthew is an associate professor of the biostatistics at the University of Melbourne's School of Population and Global Health. He specialises in the application of novel statistical methods to solve important public health um, problems. So Matthew recently conducted a retrospective cohort study um, of restrictive actions taken in relation to all notifications lodged with APRA over a 24-month period. Today he'll discuss the key findings of that study. Thank you uh, for that introduction. Um, uh, first of all, uh, my introduction made it clear that I'm neither a lawyer nor a medical practitioner. I come at this from a perspective of a, um, of a statistician, and in one way I sort of see myself as someone who's dispassionately looking at the, um, at the health system and how it operates. And so the talk I'm going to give today very much ties into what was discussed in the first section today, you know, about what's happening with disciplinary actions what is the um, epidemiology of that? Now this paper's been published, it's available freely online in um, BMC Medicine, uh, and it's open access, so it's very easy to get hold of if you want to. I'm constantly looking it up because I need to find out something, can I just chuck in my name and out comes into Google, and it seems to be the first thing that appears, so um, that's nice to be known for something. Um, <coughs> So just uh, as a bit of a background to, to the work, um, as has been discussed already, practitioner boards rely on patients, on practitioners, employers and other agencies such as the police um, to report and uh, to identify and report notifications of concerns about practitioners. And ma this is mainly in relation to the health conduct and performance. This is important, it's about patient safety. And as mentioned this morning, these key the medical, medical professions and health professions are regulated under a unified scheme. Um, what's perhaps less well known is that um, because APRA plays the secretariat role, uh, these notifications can all be reliably tracked in, um, in a database and we now have access to that database. We have all, a, a data set of all notifications to APRA since it was formed and uh, until the end of last year. And so we're able to look at notifications that come in the door and we're able to look at how those notifications relate to the population of practitioners. And so the study that I'm presenting today, it was really an opportunity to understand um, you know, the epidemiology of notifications. Uh, this has all been well covered. It's a summary of how the national law works. Uh, but the two key points I wanted to make are that um, almost anyone can make a notification, and this includes employers and uh, fellow practitioners. Uh, and, and that there's really two levels, two, two decision-making bodies um, about what the outcome of, outcomes of those notifications are. So the board, the medical board, for instance, makes um, determinations in some cases. Uh, for more serious outcomes, that tends to go to a tribunal. And in Victoria, that's VCAT. Uh, and, and I. And, and, and I really classify things into two groups. One is non-restrictive actions, which is uh, this bottom group here. Non-restrictive actions are that no further action be taken, that, um, that, that the notification be referred to another body, for instance the police, 
um, or that the practitioner receive a caution, reprimand or fine. The restrictive actions are uh, that the practitioner agrees to an undertaking. For instance, to have a chaperone with them uh, when they see patients. Uh, the imposition of a condition on their registration, for example, is not allowed to practice in a certain way. Or suspension or cancellation of registration. So our study took um, as the beginning point all the notifications that came into ARPRA between 2011, sorry, 2010, 2011 and 2012. Now you'll appreciate that notifications can take a long time to resolve. Some might be resolved very quickly, some very complex ones may take a long time. So we followed those notifications for up to four and a half years to determine what had happened to those notifications. How were they resolved? What was the final outcome, if any, that had occurred? And so in the work I'm talking about today, we focus on six groups of practitioners. Doctors, nurses and midwives, dentists, psychologists, pharmacists, and then the remaining professions uh, that ARPA regulates uh, fall into the, into the other category. So this is not a talk just about doctors today, it's a talk about all pra practitioners. Um, it's worth pointing out uh, as an aside that New South Wales is excluded from this data set because like Queensland, there's a co-regulatory um, scheme operating there. Although we do now have access to the New South Wales data and we'll be looking at that in future papers. And because it's the 2011-2012 period, uh, we don't have to worry about the issue of Queensland being separate because it was part of the scheme at the time. So we have data from all of those. So during that period, there were um, 6,000, nearly 7,000 practitioners were named in 8,500 8 notifications. That's what came in the door. Uh, now by the end of our follow-up period, 409 of those were still open, but about 8,000 of them had been resolved. So from here on in, I'm going to focus on those that were resolved, that 8,000. So most of them resulted in no further action, 5,000 of them. 800 of, 800 of them were referred to another official agency for resolution. Uh, 850 of them resulted in a caution, reprimand or fine. And 818 of them resulted in restrictive action, the pointy end of regulation. What was the, what was the specific disciplinary outcome? Well, you can see that 300 of them resulted in an undertaking. Nearly 500 resulted in some condition being imposed on the practitioner, and just 21 resulted in suspension or cancellation. And picking up on the point this morning about the myth of um, medical regulation, this very much makes the point that was made earlier that the risk of um, suspension or cancellation is very low. That in fact, mo what happens to most cases is that they result in no further action. So what were these notifications about? Well, as I said, um, APRA focuses on, on three types of notifications, conduct, health and performance. The biggest chunk of the pie was performance um, notifications, nearly 40%, followed by conduct, which was 30%, and five, well, nearly 6% of notifications were about health issues. Um, and if we focus on those performance issues, most of them were about concerns about clinical care. 
What does that refer to? Well, it's hard to know. Um, we certainly, as, as was mentioned, we can't tease out what was about innovation and what wasn't, but most of them about concerns about clinical care. And then just a very small proportion were about poor communication issues, and then there were a number of others that fell into the other category. Health issues are much rarer, but um, they, what they were about were problems of mental illness and problems of drug misuse, and a small proportion were about other health issues such as um, alcohol misuse. And finally, the conduct issues were largely about disruptive behaviour and improper use of management of health information. So that's what's coming in the door and what ARPRA is making, or what the boards uh, that ARPRA looks after are making decisions on. Who were they against? Well, the vast majority of notifications are against doctors. That's pretty much what's coming in the door most of the time. About 4,000 of them. Nurses and midwives made up a much smaller proportion, followed by dentists, psychologists, pharmacists, and then the other health professions, the smallest group of all. The, blue, the red line here is the um, notification rate per 1,000 practitioners per year. So this is... Um, a way, but like we think of um, rates of disease, this is the rates of notification against these, each practitioner. So have, what we do here is we adjust for the size of the population. And you can see that um, dentists have the highest rates of notification relative to their size in the population, and that's followed closely by doctors. The rates for the others are much lower, uh, in particular nurses and midwives, uh, which is interesting. Um, so, so the next step from here is um, we were interested in predicting which notifications and what were the factors of the notifications that would lead to restrictive actions being imposed. So this is, you know, for any given notification, what are the chances that it's going to result in um, conditions on practice, um, impositions being imposed or restriction or, or suspension? And, and what we're doing here is we calculate these as odds ratios. So the blue line, this group here, patient or relative, everything you can present in this slide is relative to that. So for argument's sake, um, if, if a complaint comes through the Complaints Commissioner, then the risk of it resulting in restrictive action is about the same as if it had come from a patient or relative. That's not particularly surprising because Complaints Commissioners tend to deal with patients and their relatives most of the time anyway. So the fact that the finding is about the same makes sense to me. What's really interesting is we go to the other end of the um, slide. If uh, a notification had come from an employer, it was seven times more likely to result in restrictive action than if it had come from a patient. And similarly, if it came from a fellow practitioner, which is in the middle there, about three times higher. And in general, these are the sorts of things that are considered mandatory notifications when they come from an employer or when they come from a fellow practitioner. But, um, you know, if someone's self-notified, and they might do that if they believe that they were about to get um, identified, you know, you sort of get in first. <laughs> it's not a successful strategy, according to this data, because uh, you've still got about four times higher risk of being um, having restrictive action imposed. Um, what are the types of issues that lead to restrictive action being imposed? Well, here the reference category is concerns about clinical care, that, and I apologise for all of this being on an angle. It's hard to fit it all into a slide. Um, so if we, if we think about 
concerns about clinical care as being the reference category here. Um, and you go right to the end and look at drug misuse, a health issue. If, um, if really, <laughs> um, uh, if, if you have a drug misuse problem, then you're seven times more likely to um, uh, receive a restrictive action. Alcohol misuse, also very high. Mental illness, high. And physical and cognitive illness. So the health issues are the ones that are leading to restrictive action. The much more common stuff about conduct or performance, much lower risk. All right, who is um, most likely to um, receive a notification? Or who's most likely to receive restrictive actions? Well, doctors are the reference category here, and uh, the people at highest risk are dentists. They're much more likely, and and nurses and midwives. I'm sorry, that slide looked completely wrong, so we'll ignore that. Um, what I what I what I meant to say was that doctors have relatively high rates of notification, but relatively no, low rates of actually being um, of, of receiving restrictive action of disciplinary action. Nurses are the opposite. They um, have very low rates of notification, but very high rates of restricted action. And there's a variety of reasons that we could talk about later on about why that might be. Um, and I think the final point is that notifications about health issues are much more likely to lead to disciplinary action. So that's me, thank you.